Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davey Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I'm Davey, and back with me... <laughs> it's so good Aubrey, to be back. My goodness, we have missed you. Holy cow, I've been having to hold the fort down for the past Oh man, uh, three by the episodes. way, thank you for doing that. <laughs> and also, it's so good to be back. Oh, it's so good to have you back. I know, you know, just talking a little bit off air with you, the, the Samson family's been going through quite the ringer <laughs> on a lot of different fronts. Oh my yeah, goodness. Yeah, we could do a whole podcast episode about just our last yeah. like month, but I'm here, Davey, and it's good to be here. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. There's just something rich and fresh when you know when we get to bounce the ideas and conversation off each other and you're not just monologuing you know i listen to some of these podcasts where it's the same voice and these i mean these guys and gals are great right they just but i don't know how they do it i'm like man you're just kind of (laughs) monologuing this whole thing i'm over here like i need where's where's my partner to like bounce (laughs) things off of i'm glad you feel that way i'm glad you weren't the opposite like oh i'm doing great without aubrey (laughs) (laughs) not (laughs) at all Makes my ego feel good. Hey, I'm also really excited to be back for this episode. I know. This is very appropriate. Yes. So appropriate. Our, our guest is Catherine McNeil, who, yep. okay, should I do her professional bio or should I do her like personal bio you know, Why don't bio you do first? her professional bio and okay. then you can tell us the personal bio. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. This is so, good. This is unique. This is so great. Catherine McNeil, she is an author, a writer, an editor, a speaker. She's also an MDiv student. She's very mm. busy. She has written several books, including a brand new book called Fearing Bravely, Risking Love for Our Neighbors, Strangers, and Enemies. She's got two other books out. One is called All Shall Be Well, and the other is Long Days of Small Things. She lives, Davey, this is the purse collection, in the Chicagoland area. Oh, I know someone else Um, that lives there. Yeah, we'll talk about that in just a minute. (laughs) She's actually here to talk about a really, really tender story of experiencing church hurt at a young age and how God showed up in that. But the reason that uh, there's that Chicago connection is Catherine is literally my neighbor. Like I could yeah. yell at her house right now and our kids go to school together and she's yeah. one of my besties and we write books together and we do, we just do life together. So, so cool. this is very fun for me. And I, just a little like insider baseball here for our listeners. Mm. Um, Catherine has never shared this story before. Wow. She's never written about it. She's never wow. talked about it. Yeah. And so we, um, created enough of a safe space for her that she felt like she could. And listeners, I know you're going to be blessed because she, you know, we hear a lot of church hurt stories, Davey, and I know you and I will talk about this more after your conversation with her. Hers is a little bit unique Mm -hmm. because she's a, she was a little girl impacted by some church hurt because her dad was a pastor and went through some stuff. And so it's like a a cascading effect. Yeah. It was like almost indirectly yet directly, Mm -hmm. you know, wow. Mm. Man. Yeah, so I, I think everyone's going to be really, really blessed and moved. And you can hear, you can hear in her episode, kind of the tenderness with which yeah. she's sharing. But I'm so grateful that she is. Yeah, it's it it is so good. And you know, afterwards, I know she, you shared with us that she had shared that that was such a healing conversation for her. Yes. And, yes. Um, I mean, even before we dive into this, I want to, I want to, I want to note that because as difficult as some of these things are for us to share for us to talk about our pain mm-hmm. and, and the really, you know, the, the dark things that have taken place in our past. It's so important. Absolutely. It's so important. 
um, you know, it's it, w- once you do, you, you begin to invite the Lord to do the healing work that he desires right. to do in your life right. once you right. articulate it. But and it has to be in a safe space. Yeah. It has to be to the right people. Yep. And, um, but when that takes place, I mean, there's something very experientially healing that happens. And so I'm so grateful that that happened on this episode. And so go into listening to this guys, as, as you do with that lens, understanding like, wow, this is a gift. Mm -hmm. Like she was being so, so vulnerable right here. And, um, and, and, and I believe that God's going to not only not only is he doing a work in her in this conversation, he's doing a work through her to do yes. a work in you as you're listening to this. Hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm so excited for our our listeners to hear your conversation with Catherine. Before we do that, can I read a review from the podcast? I would love that. Yes. Okay. All right. So this is a new one that says life-changing, five stars, all the stars. Um, <laughs> these podcasts cover such deep pain and traumatic stories and bring such healing. Sharing how Jesus truly meets us in the pain and darkness has brought me deeper into my own pain that maybe wouldn't have had the opportunity to be processed. Wow. Thank you. Wow. Yeah. Man, that's awesome. Thank you so much for uh, whomever mm-hmm. uh, posted that and, and wrote the review. We would love for you guys to rate and review the podcast. If this has ministered to you in any way, it really would be great. I mean, we it's a it is a favor to us, but it also, I think more importantly, it's a favor to other people out there who have Absolutely. not heard of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, because as you rate and review it, it helps this podcast to grow in exposure. More people mm-hmm. can hear these stories. And that's the idea behind all of this is we want you to be encouraged by these stories. So share this podcast, rate and review it. We would uh, greatly be um, blessed by that. So thank you. Thank you for doing that. Yeah, we, we love that. We're grateful for you. All right. Well, let's go ahead and take a listen to Davy's conversation with Catherine McNeil. Catherine, it's so great to have you on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Thanks for joining me. Oh, Davey, it's so good to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, just in our conversation prior to this, we uh, I've discovered that you and our other host, Aubrey, are very close, and uh, you guys are yeah. do life together. It's so great. So, I mean, I'm a friend of Aubrey's is always a friend of mine, so immediately. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. Well, likewise. When I found that out, <laughs> I said, okay, we're just, this is great. I feel like I know you already, but our listeners don't know you. And well, some of them may because they've read some of your work or they've heard of you or they've talked, but some of them don't. And so I would love for them to just get to know who is Catherine McNeil? Where where do you live? What's life like right now? And then, and then I want to, I want to talk a little bit about your story. I'd love that. Well, hey, everyone out there. Um, It's great to be here with you today. Um, My name is Catherine McNeil, and I am a a writer and an author and a speaker. I live uh, near Aubrey, actually, in the suburbs of Chicago, where it is very cold right now. Um, (laughs) I have three kids, one husband. Um, uh, We're just getting by, Mm. you know, these days, uh, this COVID tide. Mm. But... um, we're hanging in there. So yeah. And professionally, I am a writer. So uh, I have three books that are that are traditionally published. And I'm always either working on a book or writing something else uh, by contract. So I love it. It's a good, it's a good way to go. I love it. That's amazing. Well, you know, um, I know that that writing a a book and getting it published Mm -hmm. is no small feat. And the fact that you have three out there, I, I commend you. And congratulate you on that. And um, thank you. And what I love about writers in general is that you guys think deeply on things. 
and you consider things, Ooh, yeah. and you work through things, and you're wrestling through things. And so, you know, that's one of the reasons I'm really excited to have you on this on this this episode because I, I want to uh, draw out some of those thoughts. But you know, particularly, you've got a, a story. Um, you've got, I mean, there's so many facets to your story, but there's one kind of thread mm-hmm. that we want to talk about. And it's something that yeah. is in the conversation a lot right now. I feel like I'm hearing it a lot in terms of, you know, other podcasts that are featuring different stories about this. And I think we're becoming awakened to this, this idea. Mm-hmm. And maybe, maybe the church is, is, there's a shift that is happening, which I think is a very good shift. Um, but a lot of it comes with, you know, there's been a lot of hurt in the church mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. people have experienced that and your story um, is aligned with that. So I'd love for you, uh, as you feel comfortable, I'd love for you to just kind of take us back and tell us a little bit about what what happened um, and how, you know, how this, this, this organization, institution, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. that's supposed to be the most healing and safe, comfortable place that, you know, that, that we can know as human beings and followers of Jesus on this side of eternity, um, Mm -hmm. how it's, how it's has and can cause damage in our lives as well. Yeah. Well, thank you. That's a really great way to open this up. Um, well, one thing that's, I think a little bit unusual about my story is it happened to me when I was a child. I was 12 years old when the main things happening that I'm going to tell you about went down. And so um, uniquely, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying I'm the only one, but unusually, uh, this experience formed my understanding of church just as much as it shook my understanding of church. Yeah. Uh, so that's, it's been something I've been wrestling with my whole life, basically. Um it, our story begins in a small Midwestern <laughs> town. Um, my my dad was a, a pastor of a very small church in a rural farming community, and I think, it, you know, church was to me everything that you just described. And um, I don't think my you can really understand my story without realizing how much church was home and family for yeah. me. Uh, we were four, I, we were, I was four years old when my family moved to this church. So I don't really remember anything before. So these people, this building, this community um, was everything that I knew. Um, my dad being the pastor there was everything I knew about my family. Um, and I even went to school there. Mm. There was a small private school that the that the church ran, and of course, the pastor's daughter had to go there. So, yeah. I I was I was at it church was literally every day. Yeah. It was everything. All the people that I knew were were church people. Um, everything that I knew about myself, my own identity, my family identity was all wrapped up in this one mm-hmm. basket. Right. Um, and I guess another thing that's a little bit unusual not not that and not as unusual as I we might think, but a lot of the church drama that we hear about right now, it, it takes place, um, it's a, they r- almost always have something to do with the misuse of power, but the power is tending to reside with the pastor. Maybe the pastor started the church or grew the church or is platformed or celebrity in some way. But in these rural communities, um, that the power dynamic is very it's different. Opposite, and yeah. I think it's... Yeah, it's really important to understand that, to understand how this all played out. Um, the church that my that called my family um, was kind of a legacy church. 
uh, I don't remember all the specifics now, but you know the the immigrant farmers started it uh, long ago, but their great grandchildren who are now working those same farms were were still leading the church, and so unlike an urban or a suburban church where you know maybe the pastor is kind of the anchor and the people are going to come and right. go, uh, here it's these core families, it's the congregation that is never leaving for generations, right. and the pastors come and go. Um, so that's a that's a really important dynamic yeah. I think to understanding what happened. Um, Basically, the the story begins one day when my dad was very abruptly fired, and I'm not going to go into the details of why that is, Um, and I'm not going to hash out whether he and the church should have parted ways or not. I think probably probably they did need to part ways, Um, but not the way it happened. And basically what happened is he walked into a meeting— um, could easily read the room. <laughs> and um, I, I was 12 at the time, so I'm going to get some of the details wrong, but I believe my family had two weeks to be out of town oh entirely. Um, and so, yeah, that's it's one thing to kind of read about that, but to experience that it. means that, yeah, instantaneously I lost everything. everything. I lost my literal home, like the house that I lived in. Wow. I lost my my community, my church, my school, my friends. Um, I lost, in some ways, my family and my sense of self um, because, obviously, <laughs> the fallout of this went on for, for years. So, um, wow. yeah. Yeah. Uh, and there was no grace for for my dad or for my mom, for us kids. Um, there was no path towards healing or a future. We just were, we had to leave immediately. And uh, this was even before there were kind of uh, best practices around severance and health insurance. And it was it was a, a very very immediate uh, severing from of everything that I knew. Um, so in one moment, I lost my literal home, my entire community, my school, my church, my friends, um, the, the sense of family that I had, the sense of identity that I had. Um, we, we literally didn't have a place to go. We literally moved in uh, to like a basement of, an, of a relative who took us in for a while, and my parents uh, started a, a very long yeah. scramble to try to gain enough stability for themselves personally that they could create stability for us as a family. Wow. Um, yeah. And not only did the church handle this extraordinarily badly, but th- there are a few individuals from the church that reached out to us individually, but for the most part, I never saw or heard from anybody again. Um, so... I was I was 12 when that happened. Which is a very pivotal um, year, right? I mean, in any childhood, yeah, that's, yeah. you're very much aware enough of what's going on that it begins mm-hmm. to cause, you know, a lot of questions and a lot of yeah. even, you know, lies or things to creep inside uh, and start to taint your perspective on certain things. And then also mm-hmm. you're young enough that you have zero control or agency over what is happening yeah. and and don't know how to move forward. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry, Catherine. I have, 
Thank you. I have really vivid memories of just being in my room and listening, listening to my parents in the house, like trying to trace where they were going and because I was supposed to be in bed, you know, and uh, trying to just piece it all together, trying to understand what was going on. Uh, the emotions were high, to right. say the least. Um, uh, just trying to, to wrap my mind around what was happening and why and being at the kind of awkward age where no one really wants to tell you right. but you're old enough that you know, right. you know, um, that's now as a parent myself, I'm really sensitive to that, you know, just sometimes we try to protect our kids by not telling them the things that they know yeah. and then don't give them the opportunity to, to process openly. So, um, you know, there's a lot of ways you could tell this just the app, the, the financial yeah. security, yeah. the 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 logistical loss, the the changing of home and school and church. But for me, it, it just felt so much like abandonment um, and betrayal to because um, the people who had been my whole world, right. my whole community, my family um, immediately decided that we couldn't even be spoken to, couldn't be loved or cared for in any way. Um, and they weren't strangers to me that did this. Right. They, they were everything to me. And what they separated us from was everything in my life. Um, so I don't want that to sound overly dramatic, but um, it did a number yeah. on my yeah. ability to trust yeah. and to yeah. be in relationship. Yeah. yeah. How long would you say in the, you know, in the period after that, um, did it take for you guys to kind of regain some sense of stability again? Uh, it was years, you know, because, uh, you know, if I think we've all gone through some upheaval, like we've lost a job, uh, we've had to move, we've lost, um, a school, like we've lost one of those things, yeah. but to lose all of them at once, like you don't even right. have resources. Uh, it's like if, if you're falling, but you can catch yourself, yeah. you know, there's, there was no solid ground at all. There was nothing that we could hold on to. Um, uh, so it, it, it was years of, of even just finding like a place where we could live and, uh, my dad couldn't just really go out and get another job as a pastor yeah. for after being fired like that and and also just the emotional state we were in. So he went through a long period of like shelling, selling shoes at the mall and um, just trying to, to, to get by. And uh, my mother was devastated and there was, you know, there was just so much fallout right, and it right. took years. It took years for the fallout to stop kind of escalating much less, you know, like when something explodes, yeah. it takes a while for the explosion to come all the way, the wave to go out, but then it has to come back in, you know, right. and uh, it, uh, there, there's a very specific memory that I have of being, of God really faced facing me down and saying, I have to deal with this. Wow. Um, I, I write about that. Actually, it's the opening story in my book, Fearing, Fearing Bravely. But um, that happened when I was in my early 20s. So, and this happened when I was 12. Wow. So it was at least a decade. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's also the story of my life. You know, right. I I don't think about it every day now, but it, it formed who I am more than anything. Right. Yeah, well, to that to that point what what kinds of ripple effects 
you know, could you kind of parse out for us in, in terms emotionally, you know, mm-hmm. um, I mean, obviously there are financial ramifications and stuff for your family mm-hmm. and, you know, occupational, but, you know, for you, as you're trying to grapple with this as a 12 year old and then beyond mm-hmm. into your, into your teenage years and, you know, early adult years, can you name some of those things that you would say, okay, now that I've really had some time to untangle, you know, everything that the aftermath of what happened, here's what mm-hmm. was taken. Here's what, here's a ripple effect. Here's what I notice. I mean, is there some things that you can kind of show us that would help us to, to, to know how this yeah. affected you? I mean, there's a lot of really practical ones. Um, I never really regained a sense of home. I don't know that I still have, to be honest. Um, I'm in my 40s now, so this was a long time ago. But uh, my family, having felt so at home in the community where I was, my family moved a lot in, you know, trying to, like, find a, a new kind of moving from the next possible survival step to the next. Um, so the rest of the time that I was in junior high and high school, it was, there was really no stability. Um, so it, it's only been uh, really since being married and having my own kids and my own family that I've I've been able to put down some roots and build like home. formulating your own um, stability, yeah. Yeah. And I, to be honest, I'm an Enneagram six. This is definitely why, you know, like they talk about kind of like the inciting event. Um, one thing that I've had to wrestle with a lot recently, strangely, 30 years in, um, is how hung up I am about providing security for my kids and maybe, which is good, you know, uh, it's good to do that, but Right, but I think I'm I'm not able to to let go and and realize that some 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 upheaval is okay. Yeah. <laughs> some change for my children is it all right. It could impede, you know, certain certain things that the Lord wants to lay out to, you know, grow your kids yeah. or to grow your family or to, Absolutely. you know, I mean, even just the idea of being able to answer a call, mm-hmm. you know, of the Lord to yes. to move sometimes things like what you've experienced can very easily cause us to start to grip things so tightly because we're, we're searching for that sense of stability. And so yeah, we plant those roots, we dig those heels in, we say, Nope, not yeah. going anywhere because we want it so badly. And it can hinder us from being able to go, all right, Lord, what's, what do you have for us? I, you know, I feel, you know, like my dad was a pastor as well mm-hmm. growing up and we moved a lot you know, two years here, two years there, two years here, two years there. And it's interesting that you said that you feel like you still are trying to gain a sense of home. I resonated Mm -hmm. with that. You know, it's, it feels this in a lot of ways, the same way for me. Um, you know what, as you, as you think through that, to what degree do you feel like, cause I wonder this myself, to what degree do you feel like, you know, we're supposed to have that. And to what degree do you feel like we're not? I don't, I know it's not black and white, but in just in as people or as people as, yeah, you know, especially people here, um, Mm -hmm. on this planet that is not our home. 
You know, we go yeah. to the extreme yeah. here, <clears throat> right? And go, well, this isn't our home. And yet at the same time, it's very important for us to have a sense of home and to feel a sense of... Right, right. So can you kind of... I don't know, ruminate on that a little bit. Like what, as you're yeah. wrestling through oh, that sense of home, ruminate. what is, what is that for you? Where are you, you know, what has the Lord been doing and trying to wrestle with that sense of home for you? Yeah, I, I, that's, this is kind of the rumination of my life, to be honest. Yeah. And I think maybe before I answer that question, I'll go back and add in another okay. thing to the yeah. sense of home has just been, uh, experiencing what felt to me at least as abandonment, mm. like whole scale by everyone that I knew, <laughs> which is, I, I'm sure, and uh, hyperbole, but that was the impact, whether that was the intent, that was the impact. Absolutely, um, yeah. it, it has made it very, very hard for me to trust. Yeah. And um, nobody that I knew in junior high or high school ever heard this story, ever knew anything about where I came from. Um, it wasn't until college uh, where I met the people who are my closest friends to this day, and I bravely, <laughs> bravely risked telling them who I really was and where I really came from and found so much healing in doing that. Um, but to this day and <laughs> to this very minute on this podcast, it's a very hard story for me to tell, and I don't I don't open up about it very easily or very often. And uh it has been an ongoing journey with much therapy and counseling and prayer and spiritual direction for me to trust people, to be in a relationship, to be known. Um, like a, probably a lot of pastor's kids and a lot of firstborns, I tend to take kind of a, I will pour into you and you won't even notice that I'm not trusting you at all. <laughs> you read my mail over here, <laughs> kind of, Catherine, you read my mail. Yeah, kind of an approach. Wow. Um, and, uh, but that's that's not healthy, and that's not real life, and that's not real relationships. And so I think, uh, going back to your question about home, I think a lot of times home isn't a, a really nice structure, a building where you keep all your stuff. I think home is the people that know you and that you even know yourself by. And that's what was so profoundly ripped right. from me right. um, at that age where you're starting to figure out who you are in the world. And, um, and that's what I've had God consistently uh, wrestle with me about. Um, I've, I've never really felt safe in a community. Um, not physically safe, right, but right. trust, trusting yeah. and emotionally safe. And I absolutely hold myself back and I absolutely hold myself um, in the margins. And I do so, so effectively that my friends listening to me right now are going to say, what is they she talking know. about? She's always in the center of everything. And, and that's exactly how I do it. I do it so well that no one would ever call me on it. Um, although someone recently did. <laughs> You're, chan um, so, you're channeling that three is what is what is what's happening. You're, uh, yeah, is that going yeah. from the six going to, to the disintegration to the three? <laughs> yes, that's, that's what we what do. do. You know, we I'm <laughs> a three, and that's it's. We can put on the performance to make everybody think that we are, you know, being vulnerable, and you know, and yet there's mm -hmm. this little part of us that we're holding back, and we can be vulnerable yeah. to an extent. You know, right? Say, hey. Right? Oh, yeah. But. Like what you're saying, you're, you put yourself right in the middle of it. You can play the part, but you're holding yourself back from really being able to connect with other people. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they're they're, they're, thereby reinforcing exactly this level of 
distrust that you're experiencing because it's impossible mm-hmm. to, exactly. to trust unless you've put yourself out there vulnerably. Yeah, absolutely. So going back to your question about home, I, I do believe strongly that we are not made for this world, like you said, that our, our true home is in God and that uh, we have longings to be known yeah. and to be loved that we're never going to fill up yeah. um, and that those longings need to not push us towards disintegration, right. <laughs> but point us towards Jesus. Um, but I also believe strongly that God made us to be in community and to be known not by looking in the mirror, but by looking at a friend. Mm-hmm. And um, I think when our trauma, <laughs> see, see how I'm building a, a wall yeah. between myself and what I'm saying? I think when sure. my trauma has stopped me from trusting a friend to know me, then I do disintegrate wow. and I am losing um, what is best for me and what is God's plan for me. Wow. Wow. You know, I mean, surely in, along this journey, you've kind of picked up some some bits and pieces of wisdom on all this, but how do you do that? You know, how mm-hmm. do you... Mm-hmm. How do you willingly go back into relationship when, you know, your, your, your community was essentially the thing that, that was dismantled in such a hurtful way? Mm-hmm. You know, how do, I, I, I struggle with the same thing a lot of times, you know, experiencing certain church hurt, so to speak, whether it was while I was a pastor or whether it was while mm-hmm. I was, you know, pastor's kid. Mm-hmm. And it, and I've noticed recently it's caused a level of distrust in myself mm-hmm. and it impedes relationships that I have. So how do I yeah. lean into those relationships even when I'm like, ah, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know. It feels yeah. a little bit safer to just to be, <laughs> to take this posture instead, you know? Yeah. It's so much safer, but you know, it's also so much, and I'm I'm preaching to myself here, but it's so much safer to just stay in bed all day. But you can't live that way. Um, and I I mentioned that I I lead with this story in the first pages of the first chapter of fearing bravely, risking love for our neighbors, strangers, and enemies. And I I don't actually make reference to my childhood at all. I just mm. sort of vaguely say that I'm I'm wrestling with God in a church service about a trauma, and I I can hear God not audibly, but as clearly as I have ever heard God saying, "Okay, it's it's time for you to." lift up your face to me and lift up your hands and let go and and trust me and and open yourself up to relationships and i'm like no no that's not that's not going to happen like just hard no and i went i had this experience where god was dare i say it negotiating with me and he was like well okay what if i just what if I give a little bit more and ask you to give a little less and hard no, just hard pass. Like I just turned him down flat over and over again. And God finally worked me back to a starting point of forgiveness where no, I wasn't going to forgive. No, I wasn't even going to want to forgive, but I was willing to say that I, you know, I want to want to want to forgive. Um, And that's where everything started for me. God really convinced me by showing me my own fear that you know, the the relational version of just never getting out of bed, of just choosing to not let anyone know me or see me. Um, 
was I thought pla- placing me in a safe place, but it was locking me in a room with fear. Yeah. It was making sure that all the love stayed outside of the locked door and all the fear was staying inside the locked door. And I was being held captive. I thought I was keeping myself safe, but I was being held captive by fear. And I was being kept separate from love. And God was saying, okay, enough now. We have to help you get out of this locked door. Um, And even though I can vividly remember and describe that one day, it's not like it was magic. You know, I have spent my whole life since then trying to love in the face of my fear. And I am... I still have a ways to go. <laughs> yeah. You know, I know this may not be true for everybody's story, but I feel like what we hear so often that there is usually some key people that are involved in our healing, you know? Mm-hmm. And I would have to imagine there might be some very, yeah, you know, key monumental moments involving key people along mm-hmm. the way that God has used to, you know, help you have an emotional, um, positive emotional response or, you know, emotional experience with community or with safe, trusted people that has invited mm-hmm. you back into trusting. Mm-hmm. Would you say that that is true of your journey? And if so, can you maybe describe some, some of those key moments, key people that, wow, this encounter right here really helped to peel back the layers of some of this distrust or this, you know, Absolutely. Well, without a doubt, um, my my college friend and to this day, one of my best friends, uh, Mandy, uh, is the very first person I ever spoke a word of this to. And, you know, probably to someone else, it's it's just another story. It's just someone else's life story. But for me, it it I thought it would kill me to tell these to say these things out loud. And um, and and she listened and she loved me and that that changed my life. It literally changed my life, um, and it allowed me to tell a few other people. Mm. Um, it allowed me to um, take steps to being known and take steps to trusting, uh, even if they were baby steps. Um, I can definitely remember when I told my now husband <laughs> this story. Um, that was a huge, huge moment um, of of choosing to be known. Um, There was a small group at a church that I was a part of um, that was, it didn't, it, it didn't last for very long because we were all kind of newly married, newly having kids, and we ended up all moving to other parts of the country. But um, it was unusually good by any small group standards. And um, the fact that I was able to spend a few years in community with these friends um, I think it was a gift from God because uh, it was everything that I needed it to be. Um, I haven't found that since, yeah. <laughs> um, but that that community was profoundly healing for me as well. Wow. wow. A lot of times people are experiencing these things and, it, you know, if they, if they leave a church or if they feel like they've been hurt by a church, whether it's in the the manner that you have, or, you know, uh, whether it's been in a different type of a, a situation, they experience similar to what you've experienced. It's almost like a complete cutting off of, mm-hmm. right. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times I won't say, I, I don't know if I can put a, a quantity for it, but there are times that I've heard of that. It's almost like 
whether it's spoken overtly or whether it's just kind of understood, it's like when someone, you know, leaves or is fired or is, you know, you, you, we're just not, we're not supposed to speak to them. And I don't know if people mm-hmm, know mm-hmm. even why they're not supposed to, it's just like culturally, yeah. that's the, you know, the, the more of the church right there that, you know, it's like, so, you know, what would, would this have changed at all if there were some people even within the church that had just kind of reached out well and walked with you guys well? Mm-hmm. How would you, you know, I, I guess I'm trying to get a picture for like, I feel like we've all been in situations where even other people have been, you know, the ones exiting for yeah. whatever reason. And we've observed that and we've fallen into, we've, you know, fallen into the trap of like, okay, we're not talking to them or we're not. But, but I want people to understand like how drastically that could shift someone's life. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. If we, how yeah. would you advise us in that as the church? Let's say you're talking to the church body and you're going, Hey, here's my experience. What this would have changed things for me. What, what would that look like? Yeah. You know, cause we don't, cause a lot of times we don't know how to, right? Right. You know, somebody once said to me, when someone is suffering, err on the side of presence. Mm. And that really that really strikes me. You know, um, there was one family from the church who, not in an official capacity at all, but uh, came to visit us in the, the, the new town in the new state that we sort of landed in temporarily. We definitely were migrants for some time. Um, they, they came to visit us, I think just once they brought bags of groceries cause we didn't have many groceries and they brought bags of clothes. We didn't have many clothes. And specifically they gave me a, a calling card <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> this was the eighties oh, and the nineties. Yeah. So there wasn't the, this wasn't the internet. There were no cell phones. Uh, there really was no way to stay in touch with people unless you were very, very intentional. Yeah. And, um, just, you know, I was probably had turned 13 by then. A, a calling card was everything. You know, it meant that they saw me, wow. that they saw uh, kind of my stage in life. My uh, <laughs> probably people don't even know what a calling card yeah, is. I know. But. I was going to say a lot of our listeners might not, but it, you're right. It opened up a <laughs> form of communication. It was how you made a long distance <laughs> phone call before you before cell phones. Um, it allowed me to make a couple of calls yeah. to the the friends that I had left, and that was awkward because it was their parents who had kicked us out of town. Uh, so I didn't I didn't do that very much, but I will never forget. I can see these this man and woman standing in our yard, um, and they weren't people I knew very well, and they're not people I've I've heard from since. But just that they they drove to show up yeah. and see us, and they had that one little gift for me. Um, I remember it 30 years later. And uh, so I think, you know, just do what you can. And it it might not be magical and it might not be perfect. And, you know, some people love to cook and some people like to buy gifts and some people are great at sending a note. And you don't need to live into somebody else's giftedness. Just whatever it is that you do, reach out to reach out to the person the way you do it. Um, Wow. Wow. One of the things I love you said, you know, a little earlier is that this as you shared with Mandy and she became the safe space to receive that and walk with you in that, it gave you the courage to do it mm-hmm. again. I think that's so profound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I, <laughs> I don't know if we really think about how much we're emboldening people just by being a safe space. And we're mm-hmm. like, it's like a domino effect, you know, there's some momentum yeah. on the tracks now of healing just by being that first person to do that. 
Absolutely. Um, yeah, once you do something that feels impossible once, yeah. you, you can maybe try it again. And even just sharing this with her, I was able to share other things with her. And um, even before getting on this on this on the air with you i was literally crying and sobbing and thinking i don't know that i can do this but yeah. uh, but i can because absolutely. i've done it before yeah absolutely you can and that's where you know you're t- this this book that you wrote that uh fearing bravely mm-hmm. i mean that's what's so profound about that that dichotomy of concepts right there Mm-hmm. Um, yeah and can you unpack that a little bit more for me you know i know you just said you didn't yeah. really mention specifically this no. trauma within that book, but you referenced it, you know, um, tangentially, but it, it, it's what, what's the basis behind this concept of fearing bravely? How has that impacted you? Well, like you just said, I, it's not a book about this trauma mm-hmm. at all. Um, although I think maybe more than I realized as I was writing <laughs> I say, it. It sounds a whole um, lot like it was formulated out of it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, the subtitle is Risking Love for Our Neighbors, Strangers, and Enemies. And I'm looking at Jesus' consistent and persistent invitation, teaching, command that we live that followers of Jesus live in the world out of a posture of love towards our neighbors, towards strangers, and even towards enemies. Um, But how, in reality, so much of us, so much of the time, we're afraid of neighbors, strangers, and enemies, and we're making our choices and choosing our posture based out of that fear rather than the love. And my point is not um, that everything's fine, that everything's safe. Like the second chapter is called unsafe and unafraid because the world isn't safe. Um, you know, there are are so many people who somehow believe that if we follow Jesus and if we have a relationship with God, then everything's going to work out fine. And, and, you know, you and I really know that's not true. Oh, life is full of suffering that we don't even think we can hold up against. Um, But God is inviting us to this love, and it's a love that can fill us up. And then Jesus points us out and says, now love your neighbor. Now even love strangers. Now love even your enemy. And I think so rarely do we ever get to the point where we realize that God is a God inviting us to love rather than fear. We, we don't even think to turn turn out and 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 walk into the world with that love but that's that's Jesus invitation to us um, not because things are safe yeah. but because we are loved well in order to do that doesn't it on some level require trust yeah right I mean it kind of yeah. comes back to the you know full circle within this conversation of trust because it's like if we're really going to be followers of Jesus that love the way that Jesus commanded us mm-hmm. to love, you know, and he only commanded us to love, <clears throat> excuse me, that way because he knows that it's what's best for our soul. It's what brings most the most satisfaction mm-hmm. for our soul. And that when we let down our guard and we become vulnerable in that trust exchange right there, whether it's a friend, yeah. whether it's a, you know, a neighbor, a stranger or an enemy, it doesn't matter who it is. There's a level of trust exchange that has to happen. I'm trusting that when I love you well, when I'm vulnerable enough and I fear bravely, and I love you well, mm-hmm. that you're not going to do something to harm me. And if you do, I trust that God's mm-hmm. got it taken care of. Like 
Yeah. You know, it all comes down to this. And, and that's what I think, you know, is so beautiful about your story and you writing this, even though those two things weren't necessarily connected. <laughs> that's you're, you're on this journey that so many of us are on and just this wrestling of trust. We've been hurt. Mm-hmm. Yes. We've all been hurt. And we will be hurt again. And we will continue yeah. to be hurt. And mm-hmm. somehow we have to like face that confrontation again to say, am I, you know, and, and make that decision. Am I going to lean in? Yeah. Or am I going to just show up and put on the front, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. In a, in another, a different book that I wrote um, called All Shall Be Well, I described another another prayer time where I was wrestling with God. I felt I was going for a walk um, at a forest preserve, and there was this kind of meadow full of flowers. And I felt like God was telling me to take off my shoes and socks and just really, like, run through the field. Hmm. And so there's a metaphor here. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my, my complaints towards God were not all about my feet. So they had a lot to do with my heart. But I was like, why would I do that? Like, the, I know. I have life experience that tells me there are rocks in this field and there are bees and wasps mm-hmm. and snakes. I'm not going to do that. That's not safe. And, But of course, I meant my heart. Of course, I meant worshiping God joyfully is too dangerous for me. It's too dangerous to open up my heart that fully and just frolic and just dance yeah. and just sing. Uh, I know, how I, like you said, like we have suffered and we will suffer again. And once you really know that, it's hard to walk forward with your heart open, um, but that is what God is asking us to do, um, to, to say, I, I know that there are thorns, and I know there are rocks, and I know there are bees, but with my eyes on God and with my hands in the air, I'm going to take off my socks and I'm going to run. And not because I'm trusting God to direct my steps so that I, I never fall, because I am going to fall. But because it's the only way to be alive, it's the only way we can be alive. Wow. That's so good, Catherine. So good. You know, I don't ever want to give the impression that we're like, we've kind of come to the end of our journey and we've figured it all out Mm -mm. by any means because we're always in progress. But I'm curious as you're wrestling with it, because I, and I ask this because I'm wrestling with it. So I'll lay my cards out on the table first before I ask Mm -hmm. you to be vulnerable, but I'm I think the past two years has really disoriented me in terms of church. Mm-hmm. I'm a pastor, right? I mean, I don't pastor a local yeah. church, but I, um, and, and in a lot of ways I'm grateful that I don't pastor a local church in the midst of all of this, you know, all of my pastor friends who have been having to navigate COVID and all of the, you know, the, um, the political conversations, the race conversations and not seeming to be able no matter what they do, it feels lose, lose, so I, mm-hmm. I don't envy their position and I'm empathized with them and I want to walk with them, but on, but I still am a pastor. I serve the local church through more itinerant speaking. And yet I feel this, like I'm unhinged right now going mm-hmm. like, what is the, what's my relationship with the church? Mm-hmm. What is this supposed to look like? Because I've experienced hurt and I've experienced some things I don't like. Yeah. So what's what's your relationship with the church now? Hmm. Where are you at with all of that? <laughs> the last couple of years have been hard. Um, you know, I guess 
we're kind of skipping a lot of years. You know, yeah. I, I, I began this story when I was 12 and now we're zooming forward to my 40s. Um, I've had a rocky relationship with church. Um, you know, I loved as a child um, being the PK, the pastor's kid. I I adored my, I do, I still, I adore my dad. Um, I still think he's the best pastor I've ever met, um, best dad I ever met. Uh, so I loved that, the world before, the world before all this happened. Um, and I hated the world after it. I hated everything about it. It was it was really terrible in every respect. Um, my dad even had cancer in his body, and we didn't have health insurance, so he couldn't have it taken out. I mean, it was bad. It was really bad. Um, and it was it was the church who had put a you know again. It, I I do think that our family needed to leave that church at that time, but it didn't have to happen that yeah, way. Yeah. And it was it was the betrayal and the abandonment. Uh, you know, when a church, <laughs> my dad and I were actually just talking about this, when a church calls a pastor, there's so much uh, beautiful spiritual language yeah. about discernment and prayer and calling and uh, f- welcome and, and family. And then when things become inconvenient, th- those those words aren't used anymore, you know. And I think if those words had been used on the way out as well as on the way in, this would be a very, very different story. But um, it took, you know, being a teenager is not an awesome time for church right. trauma. <laughs> so th- I spent a lot of years not going to church, and I got physically ill every single Sunday morning. And I don't think I had any concept that it was a yeah. trauma. That there was something yeah. right, uh, almost like a PTSD yep. situation. So I spent a lot of years sitting at home. Here's another. Here's another thing. Your listeners will not remember, but making mixtapes off of the top forty <laughs> on my boombox during church uh, while I was at home. Oh man, um, I'm sure those there are, are a lot of our memories, listeners that will know about calling cards and mixtapes for sure. <laughs> Good, sure. I hope so. Uh, if you do, um, leave us a comment. But, uh, leave us a comment. That's right. <laughs> Tell us that you know. Tell me your favorite mixtape story. <laughs> um, but I don't think I had any awareness at the time that the fact that I felt too ill to leave the house every Sunday for a long time was because I I couldn't I just couldn't be at a church. Um, but that. That has that has healed also. I'm actually an MDiv student now, mm. if you can believe it, getting a Master of Divinity at a seminary. Wow. So I've come a long, long yeah. way. Um, I, I love church. I love serving the church. I have a beautiful vision for the church as the community that I know it can be. Mm. Um, I think one of the weird benefits of this happening when I was so young is that it totally rocked my faith. Mm. Um, but as I grew up and as I grew into faith, uh, this betrayal and this abandonment was coming with me all the time. Yeah. And so I, from the minute I decided in an adult sense to follow Jesus, to commit my life to, to the church, 
Um, I knew how badly people could hurt me. I knew that being a Christian doesn't shield you from pain. And the joy that I found in faith, the joy that I found in worshiping in community and serving in community and in Jesus, I have received all that with the full knowledge of the pain. Um, And I think that has made so much difference. Um, You know, uh, one of my passions as a person and as a parent and as a writer is to just tell people again and again that beauty and suffering are all mixed up together in one. Um, But God is here. God is right here. And when we suffer, it's not because God has somehow let down his end of the contract. Uh, The Bible is really clear that suffering is everywhere, that following Jesus, if anything, is going to lead to more suffering. But God is here in the joy. God is here in the sorrow. God is here. God is here. So so great. I, I think because I stepped into my adult faith with this knowledge deep, deep in my bones, um, it is harder for me to trust church, I think, uh, for a lot of reasons. Um, some having much more to do with this current day, <laughs> like you're talking about, the, the, the more recent pains, the more recent traumas. I do tend to hold church and church community at a distance, although uh, by God's grace, I'm still working on that. Um, but I... You know, I, I tell my kids it's like a family, um, <laughs> it, which is what church what is, is supposed to yep. be, right? You know, like um, we hurt each other more. You know, who hurts you more than the people in your family, but who loves you more? And uh, I can't say that the people that kicked my family out of town and left us with nothing <laughs> loved me more than anyone. Um, but it's also been the body of Christ that picked us up again bit by bit and slow by slow. So, um, yeah, yeah, there's that. Wow. Yeah. I love that, that, you know, you are beginning to be able to, and have begun to be able to divorce your experience with a group of people who are and were the church. Mm -hmm. It's a a, absolutely an, you know, an adverse negative experience. You're beginning to be able to divorce that from like, what Jesus desires for his bride. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And rather than really partnering with that trauma, you're partnering with the redemptive purposes that Jesus has. And the vision. And you're beginning to yeah. get yeah, you're getting your eyes around that vision of kingdom and going, okay, how do I play my part in making sure that this doesn't happen to other people, you know? Absolutely. And I think that is the, the point of all of this, of all of our suffering, you know, that in it, mm-hmm. like you, what you said, it, it doesn't mean God broke contract with us because he didn't, he didn't tell us there wasn't going to be suffering. Jesus made it very clear no. there was going to be suffering in this world. We'd have sorrow, Absolutely. but in that he invites us into these spaces where we can be the church to bring kingdom to this earth. And we, and we can be about redemption and restoration and reformation where it needs to be. Yeah. And, and, and that's where I think we begin to really start seeing some healing happen mm-hmm. in our lives mm-hmm. is when, we, when we're going down yeah. that track and not partnering with our trauma. 
Yeah. Yeah. One thing I love about Jesus is he, to be honest, he puts out a high bar, yeah. you know? Uh, absolutely, we are saved by grace. There's nothing we can do to earn God's love 100%, and that's where we have to start. Um, there's nothing that we have to do to earn God's love or forgiveness or grace or affection. God is smiling yeah. on you right now. God's face is turned towards you, and God's face is smiling. But Jesus, not but, but and, and. and <laughs> Jesus' invitation to us is that we live this crazy life on earth where we are pouring ourselves out for our neighbors and even for strangers and even our enemies, yeah. whom I've just spent a lot of time describing. Like, those are the people I am invited to pour myself out to in love. And that bar is too high for me to meet. And I will die having not hit that bar, but I'm just so grateful that Jesus holds that bar out there and doesn't say, got to meet this or I'm not going to love you. God's love is the one that's pushing me. God's love is the one that's inspiring me. And I will never hit the bar. I will (laughs) die having never hit the bar, but I will have spent my whole life trying. And that is so beautiful to me. And I also think that that can be healing because I can now look at the church And on any given day, the church to me feels like a neighbor, or the church feels like a stranger, or the church feels like an enemy. And in either, in any of those cases, God's invitation to me is to love and pour myself out for the church, not as a savior, that's Jesus, but as me, as Catherine McNeil, doing what I can do today to pour myself out. And I think that has been healing for me. And it's been insulating for me too. I don't need to worry so much about if I'm being hurt when I'm, when I'm serving and when I'm giving. And when I'm saying, uh, yeah, I have been cut open. How, how can I, how can I help you? Uh, not from an unhealthy place, you know, again, I'm 30 years in here, so not from an unhealthy place of denying my own needs and denying my own brokenness and leaning into that inner three, you know, that's, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm saying, but genuinely saying, God has met me and my wounds yeah. with love. And, and so church, even when you are my enemy, and sometimes you truly, truly deeply are, I, how can I love you with God's love? That's great. Catherine, this has been so encouraging and um, I, I know helpful for, for everyone listening to this, um, regardless of the degree of hurt that they've experienced. We've all experienced hurt from people and many of us from the very people who s- say they shouldn't or somehow it seems like they shouldn't. And so um, I know this has just been really convicting for me to lean in a little bit further um, as we want to lean into what you're doing and you know the books that you've written and um, this one that you just come out and you're writing and stuff. So how can we how can we follow you and just kind of keep track of Catherine McNeil? Um, we've been inspired by this conversation. Oh well, I hope you do. I love hearing from people, so I'd love uh, for someone to reach out. The best place to find me is my website. It's CatherineMcNeil.com. But you do have to spell it right. Both of those <laughs> names can be mis- spelled in a million ways. That's true. That's true. So I'm sure that's on we the show notes We will make sure it's on the show notes. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> CatherineMcNeil.com is my website. And then uh, you can sign up for my newsletter there. You can find links to all my books there. But um, Catherine McNeil is also my handle at just about every social media you can shake a stick at. So <laughs> you could look up Catherine McNeil. 
Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, as long as you spell it right. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Catherine. Thanks for sharing so vulnerably. Mm. It's been so good. Thank you. Well, as I said, that was such a beautiful episode yeah. mm-hmm. with with Catherine. And I know I'm partial to her because she's one of my besties, Davey, but right. I I just I, I, I don't know. That felt like a, one of our special episodes as you, yeah. again, you hear her vulnerability. And I do think there's a lot of conversation about church hurt right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, 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 rightfully so. Right. It ends up being from the perspective of people who are really, really angry. But what I appreciate about Catherine is I know there's anger she's had to work through. Yeah. But more you just see like the tenderness of like a dream that was destroyed. Right. This right. church was supposed to be her family and literally yeah. was her only existence and then she just felt completely abandoned by yeah. them and even as she tells the story I, I really appreciate that she she actually doesn't really dishonor the church that much. Yeah. She just exactly. kind of says the things that are that were true and painful. Yeah. Um yeah. and I know you you've got experience with church hurt. Christy's right. got some experience with church hurt. Um, I don't, yeah. I don't know if you want to tap into that at all, but well, I, you know, I would say that probably many of us do yes. regardless of where you sit on, on what side of the table, right, this conversation is, I'll agree with you, Aubrey, this conversation is in vogue and a lot of it mm-hmm. has to do with, uh, the deconstructionist movement, mm-hmm. right? A lot of it has to do with, uh, I mean, gosh, the podcast, uh, rise and fall of Mars Hill. Yes. I mean, that became right. super popular very right. quickly. And so right. it, it just started stirring up a lot. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, as we see some of these formerly personality driven churches that have either imploded or the pastor has, you know, had a moral failure and right. Right. it leaves this wake of hurt that happens. What's interesting mm-hmm. about what Catherine was talking about is that, you know, that is the typical church hurt uh, testimony that you're going to hear. And yet hers is more of, because this was a small rural, rural church that was congregationally yeah. led, hers was more of the community that really hurt them. Right, right. And so, but you have it from varying different perpetrators, from varying different, you know, you're sitting at different seats of the table. And yeah. a lot of times you don't get to hear from the pastor or the leaders who might've also experienced church hurt. Mm, that's so true. And that is very, I mean, I'll tell you, as I sit with pastors and I mean, we're, we're traveling to a different church just about every single week and we're having yeah. dinner with pastors and their wives and the conversations that we hear, the conversations are not able to share with anybody else. Right. 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 Um, you know, because they're, they're, they're going, yeah, this is some hurt that we've experienced. This is some hurt that we've experienced. This is some wounding. And so I, mm-hmm. I don't want to in any way diminish anybody's hurt, but I also want everybody to open up and understand like, Hey, the church is not a perfect, um, entity like this right. where it's, it's operated by and, uh, and, and attended by imperfect people. Right. And so where imperfect people get involved, there's going to be a lot of hurt. Absolutely. And so the question isn't, are we going to be hurt by people in this? It's what do we do when we are hurt mm. by people? Mm. And how do we, as Jesus people, try to mitigate that hurt and reconcile yeah. that hurt, you know, yeah. with, with each other, if it's reconcilable and if not, how do we then be, you know, find peace in our own hearts after mm-hmm. that's taking place? And, you know, I just think about like, as Christy and I have talked about it, um, some of the church hurt that we've gone through 
at, at first it caused us to kind of recoil back and want to, you know, close ourselves off as yeah, most we think does. isolate, right? Like, like, Oh that. yeah. We gave so yeah. much to these, this group mm. of people. And, and then this is the backlash that we received from that. Mm. And you're like, man, but at the end of the day, when you look at Jesus, right. When we look at the person that we're, we are, we, we are print, apprentices of Jesus. So, so Jesus, I mean, he got hurt so many times by yeah, the closest right people to him. Yeah. The night before he went to the cross, he, he was abandoned by every one of his disciples. Yeah. We only see kind of Peter's deal and Judas's deal. That That's right. what gets highlighted and featured. But the reality is, is all of them left. Right. They all left. And, you know, and, and fell asleep on him in the garden of Gethsemane while he's like at his like darkest hour of suffering yeah. before yeah. the cross, obviously. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, I don't know where the interplay of Jesus's humanity mm. and divinity comes in, in terms of his foresight. Yeah. But I do think it's interesting that he gave Judas charge over the money, mm. which is the person that you would trust the most in your group, right? Yeah. Um, we're going to give you, you're going to be in charge of the finances. Yes. Right? You're going to tend on. You assume I trust that, you the that's most. a person of integrity. That's a person you can right. trust. Yeah. And yeah. yet Judas was the one that betrayed him, right? That uh, infamously betrayed him. And so I don't know if Jesus knew that already, mm. knew that he was going to be hurt in that way. Mm. I mean, at some point we see in scripture, it was revealed to him, right? He says, go and do yeah. what you're going to do. Do it quickly. Right. Yeah. But we don't know when that was revealed to him, right. but, but maybe we can infer, like, I wonder if the character and nature of Jesus is that such that even though he knew he was going to be hurt, he still <sighs> put himself out there. Wow. Wow. Which is so, I want to be careful saying this, but this is so opposite of the world's message, which is like. If you're going to be hurt, you don't even dare like be in a relationship with them, yeah. that person, because that's unhealthy. That's not good boundaries. And right. I, my, I, in my head, I feel like I almost have this war that's waging of like right. I have that message, but then I do. I mean, you see Jesus who literally like let people kill him yeah. for our sake, yeah. and that what that's not a healthy boundary as no, we would define exactly. healthy boundaries. So I, you know, my my mind kind of goes. I don't know what to do with that. I don't it's, know how to make it's sense. It's not as of black that. and white as what sometimes we try to make it. And yeah, you're right. Are, are you right about both those things, Aubrey? Yes, I believe you're right about both. Of them. I think there are times mm. and situations where you do have to put up boundaries. Yeah, absolutely. And there are times and situations where you have to become a doormat mm. because that's what it means to like bring the kingdom to earth. It's you're like totally what, right, what, right? And so you see this with Jesus. You see certain times where they tried to kill him and he escaped. Like it almost like he was this ghost. It just he kind of escaped through the crowd. Yeah. But then in other times where he stood silent while he mm. was being tried, mm. you know, and he goes to the cross like a silent mm. lamb, right? And so mm. that there, and I don't know if we can give you, a, you know, if you're listening to this, and you're going, okay, in my situation, what should I do? I, we <laughs> right, right. We can't necessarily um, take one your instance and give you this blanket. Here's our suggestion: what you should do. Do this. I right. think it's just a matter of really discerning the spirit and what, and the principles here that we're kind of unearthing right yeah, now yeah. for what you're supposed to do in your situation. But the reality is, is we are going to be hurt. Right, we're going to be hurt. Right. And there's no hurt like church hurt. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the group of people that should be showing you the love of the father Yeah. more than anybody else. And I think that's why it hurts the most too, right? Mm. Isn't David said if, I mean, if we had been, if, if we were brothers, if we had not yeah. shared fellowship, yeah. but because we, you know, and, and yeah. plus when you're co-laboring for the kingdom, right? You, there's this, this like brotherhood and sisterhood that forms yes. yeah. that when that gets severed, 
it really, it's like a divorce. It is. It's like a family falling apart. And, yeah. and obviously we all know it's not supposed to be that way. Yeah. But then it, then it is. I, I know, Davey, like one of the things that nothing is wasted that we really believe, even, even with imperfect people and imperfect yeah. community, is that we heal from wounds through safe communities. That's right. That's which right. is what Catherine ultimately ended up talking about. And um, exactly. we've yeah. created a new platform that I want to hear right. more about from you. Have. Over the past few weeks, we have just yeah. seen this thing begun to really flourish and, and, and grow. I mean, hundreds of you guys have joined this platform, which is awesome. So cool. A few weeks ago, we had this great online Amazing. summit where we brought on Daniel and Brittany Brooker and Kayla Steckline, and we just awesome. talked about why community is so important. And we're going to continue to be releasing some things uh, there on, on the free platform, on the Community Plus platform, which is $20 a month. And so we've got some um, master classes coming up from our certified coaches, which I'm super excited about. Those are going to be amazing. Those will be free live. You can attend those live for free, but the replays and the archived libraries uh, you know, of all of that stuff will be under the Community Plus platform. And so there's just all kinds of things we're planning to just help you, resource you, and to provide, most importantly, a buffer of community around you where you can not only find solidarity from other people who are walking through the same thing that you're walking through or who have walked through that same thing, mm. but you can also, you can also find some of those handholds and resources that you need to start moving forward. Right. And so what, one of the things we continually talk about in this community platform is this is a, this is a community where the culture is me too. Now let's move through. Love that. Me too. Now let's move through. So good. Um, and, and I think that's so important in terms of us finding and creating healing community around us. So we'd love to invite you to join that. Nothingiswasted.com slash community. Nothingiswasted.com slash community. And then you can go to nothingiswasted.com and find all kinds of other resources that we have for you. We just want to help you partner with God to take back your story, no matter what you've gone through in life. We do believe that your life can have purpose and meaning. Amen. And, um, and you, can, you can have a renewed sense of mission. In, in all of this, God wants to take what you've gone through and turn it around for his glory, for your good and Amen. for the good of the world. So well, that's, that's what we want to help you with. So exciting. I love that we're doing that, David. We also want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing all of the music for the Nothing is Wasted podcast. You can listen to his music wherever it is you listen to music. We also want to invite you to follow us on Instagram. We are at Nothing is Wasted Ministries, at Davey Blackburn, and at Obsamp. Next week, we're joined by... Jesse Bradley, who was a yes. professional soccer player turned yeah. like passionate church planter, oh pastor on fire for Jesus. This yes. is going to be an incredible episode. So let's go ahead, take a listen to part of Davy's conversation with Jesse Bradley. If you're in Minnesota, it's the winter, you don't have a lot to do, and you got a lot of cooped up passion. And so when people go to the sports games, I mean, literally the stadium would shake. And I was just saw that passion. I was like, this is what I want to do the rest of my life. And that dream held true. And uh, so soccer, professional soccer, I played overseas, Scotland, Africa. When I was in Africa, I took a prescribed medication to prevent malaria. And it built up toxic levels in my system. Didn't happen right away. It was over the course of many months. And eventually, my body started to uh, just shut down. 